spoken word. A taste of Melbourne's diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Good morning. Welcome to Spoken Word on 3CR. My name is Tina Janukas. 3CR broadcasts from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which 3CR broadcasts and pay my respects to elders past, present and future. In today's episode of this two-part show, I will be talking with editor Pauline Hopkins about the Spin of Express anthology that she has put together and edited called It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. We'll also be hearing today from poet Sandy Jeffs about her work in the anthology. Our next episode, we'll also hear from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Marin May Campbell about their pieces in the anthology. The anthology also includes some wonderful poems from Georgie Orbiston, who sadly passed away in 2022. Let's begin our discussion in today's episode with editor Pauline Hopkins reading one of Georgie Orbiston's poems from the anthology, It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. Pauline, would you like to read Subaru, one of the three poems by Georgie Orbiston in the anthology? I would love to do that. Thank you. Barn, gate, sign, tomb, squares flash by and circles too, the sun sadly buried, a badly hung moon. How I love the geometry of silence. Sometimes I stop to swig down a sight, or lap at a wound, or forget a someone at home. Then I go on. How lonely is our loan. Is it a woman spinning a car right round the earth beneath a stellified sky? Is it only what? 300 miles? Put your heart back like a clock. I gape at the moon while you're safe in some room with more stars than a flag or a Subaru. Still, dark, fog, bare. How the gum's stubborn leaves sing alone, just like me. Stuck here, in the middle of everywhere. That was Pauline Hopkins reading Subaru by Georgie Orbiston, published posthumously in the feminist collection of fiction and poetry, It's All Connected, put together by Pauline Hopkins and published by Spinifex Press. Pauline, I've spent the past few weeks reading through It's All Connected, this wonderful collection of women's fiction and poetry, and I must say I am overwhelmed with the sensuous beauty of many of the pieces, even as many of them deal with patriarchal violence against women and women's resilience in the face of such violence. It also includes your own moving story, Paige, in It's All Connected. Despite the tragic loss of a child at birth, And in sensitive patriarchal incursions, it uplifts the reader into the beauty and tenderness of the mother-child bond. Before we get into the heart of the anthology with readings of individual works, I'd like to take listeners through the journey of why as editor you put this collection of fiction and poetry together. 
Now, it's an ontology of feminist fiction and poetry, and I wonder what that term feminist means to you in terms of this wonderful collection of fiction and poetry by women. Um, well, everything at Spinifex Press is feminist, and um, that was automatic that it would have that in the title. What makes them feminist is giving voice to women. They're also voices that recognise the oppression of women and demonstrate a commitment to do something about it. Uh, I was talking with publisher Susan Hawthorne today. We were talking about this very topic. What makes something feminist? Recognition of oppression and commitment to do something about it and giving voice to women's experience, not filtered through someone else's voice. Now, that's Susan Hawthorne, who's the publisher at Spinifex Press. Yes, and also has a piece in the collection and... um, As an editor for a publisher like this, what I have done in the years I have spent there is continue to learn. And every day I learn off them and I've been given this fabulous opportunity to put this collection together. So it came about because I asked to do it as part of Spinifex's 30th anniversary of being a feminist publisher in Australia. There was a collection, an anthology of non-fiction that was put together called Not Dead Yet. And that told the story of women's experiences in growing up in Australia and abroad, their experiences of, you know, the women's revolution and changes that happened during their lives and changes that they're still seeking to bring about. I posed the question, why not also fiction and poetry? Spinifex has always done all three. And I felt that fiction and poetry also deserved an anthology. Luckily, they agreed with me and allowed me to proceed with the idea. I suppose that brings me to a question I have in my mind. Why put poetry and fiction together? I think they're both two ways of storytelling. So I don't think there's an antipathy there. I think there's a synergy between them. Some of the stories in the book are by poets. Some of the poems in the book are by people who would normally write stories or non-fiction. They're all about women's voices, but it has always been harder for poets to get their rightful place. And I think an anthology that puts short stories and poetry together exposes short story readers to poets and poems, and perhaps also exposes poets and poetry readers to short stories I think you would agree some of these short stories are quite poetical and beautiful in the way that they're written. So I think they fit well together. I didn't want to structure it so that all the poems were together or that all the stories were together. I think it works. I hope it works in the way it's set together. Well, you certainly begin the collection with a poem and I think you end it with a poem, don't you? I certainly do. Yes. You um, start with uh, Jenna Woodhouse's poem, uh, Agamemnon. Agamemnon's Return from Troy. And it ends with Wimmera by Geordie Alberston. Though I must say, with both those poems, when I read Wimmera, immediately I decided I wanted it and I wanted it at the end of the collection. And when I read Jenna Woodhouse's poem, I decided I wanted it at the start. That was more an instinctual thing that I felt. One was a fantastic beginning and one was a superlative ending. The rest started from there, the structure and and the ordering, which is a very important and wonderful process to try and work out, here I've got this collection of pieces, now where do I put them, these 40 pieces, which order, how do they fit together, do they fit together, 
do they belong together? How is it going to work? But it does in the end, I hope. I think the uh, opening poem by Jenna Woodhouse in some ways sets the tone of the collection. It'd be lovely to hear just the opening lines of the Jenna Woodhouse poem. I will give that one a go. So here it goes. Agamemnon's return from Troy, as told by Clytemnestra. I shuddered when I saw her eyes, their ghastly shadows and their fires. They'd seen more than a girl like her should ever see. Apparently, we'd heard, she had the gift of prophecy, though she was also cursed by this, by what she couldn't help but see. Very, very strong lines. Uh, When I was reading that poem, I thought it was quite a powerful poem and really brought to the fore a woman's voice. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's extremely strong. It's a poem that cannot be ignored. There is anger in it, and there is anger in quite a few of the pieces in this anthology, though I have had some people say they think the first half is a bit angrier than the second half, and maybe it takes a bit of a tone as a journey as it goes through. But thinking of the anthology as a journey is quite important to me too, and especially looking at Geordie's poems, of which there are three. She's the only person who has more than one piece in the collection, and I think that was a right thing to do, to honour all three of the poems that she had sent to me. But she said to me those poems were done as part of her road trip poems. That's almost why Wimmera needed to come last, because it was the end of the road trip. I feel that the collection itself is a bit of a road trip. I was um, struck by the idea that readers found the collection angry because I've read through the pieces several times and for me what what struck me by the collection was a space where women could have an assured voice, not apologetic, not uh, frightened to express what they're expressing. I thought that was one of its uh, strengths. I agree. I think maybe some people still feel discomforted by the range and depth of women's emotions and find it quite challenging and confronting. So I'm happy for them to be confronted by that. I think it begins with that first poem and there are a range of different voices too in this anthology. There's no sense that they're too similar to each other. This is a collection where there are individuals speaking with quite different distinct voices different uses of language, different tones, different stories. That's what also appealed to me about it. They're quite different styles, but somehow I believe they all fit together on a road trip. And that's what you go along in this anthology. Well, for me, they seem to fit together on also the level of the sensuous descriptions, um, the, the language. Uh, there's a rich imagery running through the, the collection, whether we're reading a short story or we're listening to a poem. You talked about the different uh, voices. Uh, there are women here from all walks of life dealing with all sorts of things. And I, I found the variety of stories and poetry one of the collection's uh, strengths. Indeed, and, and I felt that too. And to sit as an editor at your computer being sent pieces that wonderful writers, wonderful women have entrusted to you and said, here, I offer you something. If you would like to include it in your anthology, here it is. What a gift. So I think the uh, the role 
of an editor being a gift recipient is not emphasised enough because I felt truly that it was a gift that I was given with these pieces and it was a privilege to be able to work with each of these writers, finalise their pieces and put them together. So, yeah, the gift of being an editor. I'm intrigued by the title of the collection, It's All Connected. How did that title come about? One of the pieces in the collection is called It's All Connected. When I read the pieces, Diane Bell's story, It's All Connected, it just seemed like an ideal title and I asked her if we could use it and she said yes. Her story is about the land in Australia, land, water, or as she says in her story, the stories, the family, the country, the river. I thought it was ideal for this collection because I think there are a lot of themes that come through. I think environmentalism and the environment is closely connected to these pieces. I really believe that the earth, the land, the water, the women, the animals, there is a connection there and it just seemed like the perfect title to me. So, Accent of women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent of women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How can people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent of women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back. I'm Tina Janukas and you're listening to Spoken Word on 3CR. In today's episode of this two-part show, I'm speaking with editor Pauline Hopkins about the Spinifex Press anthology she has put together and edited, It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. We'll also be hearing from poet Sandy Jeffs about her work in the anthology. In the next episode of this two-part show, we'll also hear from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Marion May Campbell. Sandy... You have a poem in the anthology. It would be lovely to hear this poem. But before we hear the poem, I would like to ask you, why did you submit to this anthology? Thank you, Tina. I wasn't going to submit, actually. Um, I had nothing written that I, that I thought was appropriate for the anthology. Pauline emailed me and said, why haven't you submitted anything? I said, well, I've got nothing to submit, but I have happened to have written this poem in the last six months um, about belonging to where I live. It's really about being connected big time. And so I presented it to, um, to Pauline. It was a bit of an epic. So I thought, no, no, they won't go with it. No, no, no way. So I presented it to, to Pauline and she accepted it. So I was, I was quite thrilled that this poem has, has now been published. It's so funny because since being published, I've actually rewritten some of it and added another stanza. So it's a growing poem. Uh, it's an epic. But um, I think... When I saw that the theme was all, it's all connected, I thought this is perfect because this poem is totally about where I live and feeling a belonging to where I live and feeling a reverence for where I live. And in a way, all of my writing in the past had been obsessively about being crazy and being mad. And this poem is so different to what I've been writing. It, it's a new voice, a different voice. It's a much gentler voice. It's a gentle um, celebratory voice, I suppose. So it's quite different in, in the way that it is gentle. And I like that, that I have now transferred myself to 
other topics and other voices and other ways of, of expressing myself. Let's uh, have the poem. Okay. So the poem is called Christmas Hills Rhapsody. And there's a, a quote from Wordsworth that begins it with as an epigram and it goes, And so I dare to hope, though changed, no doubt, from what I was when first I came amongst these hills. And I sort of feel that way, but when we, when we moved to Christmas Hills 45 years ago, it changed us because it's such a beautiful place. I think the question also is why couldn't I have written this 45 years ago? It took 45 years for this poem to emerge, which is really interesting. And it begins with the Kangaroo Ground Hill, which we all know when we drive to Christmas Hills, we all know that we go over the Kangaroo Ground Hill and we leave the suburbs behind us and before us is paradise. So Christmas Hills Rhapsody 1. As my small silver Hyundai, engine humming, wheels turning in mechanical synchronicity, glides over Kangaroo Ground Hill, to the left of me, the old memorial tower surrounded by sprawling plump vineyards and the summer yellow paddocks dry with the season's water lack and rustling grasses quivering in the heat where kangaroo mobs once peacefully grazed before a culling disappeared them. I am welcome to this ancient Wurundjeri country once strode by its custodians. 2. Crossing this hill, I escape the harried world of monotonous suburbs Manic freeways, high-rise monsters, infested air, people cheek by jowl. And I'm heading northwards, just a few country kilometres along the Eltham Yarraglen Road. Past Henley Road, gateway to the Bend of Islands, and onto the much-loved Kangaroo Ground Cemetery, where the dead lie peacefully in rural tranquillity. Then coasting through shady Watson's Creek with its popular Dark Horse Cafe, and over a bridge that spans a small stream before winding my way through the sharp, accident-prone bends and rounding more sweeping curves through uneven, craggy terrain. Suddenly, on my left is Clinton's Road, which takes you to neighbouring Smith's Gully, and immediately on my right is the Simpson Road turnoff, which runs to the Cursed Dam, whose rising waters not so long ago split our area and identity in half. Further on is Sleepy Happy Valley, where, in earlier times, gold fever lured fossickers. And then sitting in amongst the trees is a surprise rustic primary school. Not far from there, closer to home now, is the Montalvat Farm, while across the road sits the old derelict post office. And if this road is taken afar, it leads you down a steep hill and into the Yarra Valley and the hamlet of Yarra Glen where greeny and redneck politics collide. 3. I am bound for my Christmas Hills anchorage, where scrubby eucalypts with chaotic canopies like grand monarchs stand tall, and gullies of tussock grass tumble downwards to dams, and orchids are sprinkled like fairy dust on the leaf-littered ground. I feel so blessed that, after a long odyssey through the city's asphalt streets, dark places of menacing man-made design, I can return to my quiet wonderland. And this homeward journey is necessary to salve my threadbare soul, made ragged by the assault of urban warlords. This humble place amongst the gums is my shelter and sanity. 4. The ageless land on which we trespass, and from whose core we have strayed, nevertheless, is my home where I have walked and slumbered, cackled and cried for over 40 years, 
a blimp in First Nations time, but for my few stolen years it seems ever so long. 5. What to make of the clock's ceaseless ticking, and time passing, and friends ageing towards decline, and cats and dogs having come and gone from her Alamalia home, a grim marker of ephemeral time. What to make of my own body's regression to a weaker physical state, where I am no longer the young whippet, though I remain so in my mind's eye. Time teases me with its tedious days, but oh how the months and years fly by, and age crawls upon me like a snake, curling its mouth around a helpless mouse. As the seasons roll on, relentless, and when winter becomes fire-worrying summer, I battle the mental fear of disaster. And yet I cannot stop the clock, or the seasons, or the descent into age. I am wearied by the rhythm of life, and fate's humorless jokes. 6. And yet these hills console me, wrapping me in a sylvan rug, where I'm snug against the railing storms, where time is tamed briefly, and I can loaf and loiter without care. Just knowing I am in the midst of this ancient land, not having to step out amongst it, but to watch it from my window, gives me comfort. And to see the rainbow lorikeets and king parrots bluster around, to hear the magpies warble and the jester-laughing kookaburras, all a symphonic chorus, soothes my troubles. I am forever moved to great emotion, bigger and stronger than I am able to give to words. 7. I look to other poets for inspiration, poets who have walked leafy laneways and rambled over brooks, their words always a measure above my feeble poems. How they have shown us the way with their pens that conjure their solitude and joy. I write in their shadow, perhaps too full of my own poetic self, yet knowing I am a poet of no distinction. But for each word I put upon this page, a tear falls from each and every letter to mark the grief that besets us all in this world, a world too modern for a crone like me. 8. But I return to my eternal home, my shelter from the world's wars, the looming climate catastrophe, the market's pull on our lives, the techno-cacophony, the social media eruptions, democracy in retreat, autocrats rising across the world like paranoid Putin deluded that he can make Russia great again, the resurfacing of anti-Semitism and American women suddenly finding they are living in Gilead while my rainbow brethren and mad comrades fight crippling stigma. Then there are the corrupt and shameless politicians who beg, woo, flatter and lie for our precious vote. And yes, they have stirred the fuming cynic in me. I have rage roiling in my blood. So much is wrong in our film noir lives. 9. Yet this place where it is Christmas every day calms my rage and soothes the clangour in my heart. I listen for the bird song and for the rustle of lizards on the ground while they rest for veggie garden mellows and the chooks scurry about in their pen and in my study feeling secure amongst the hanging Balinese angels, the books that line the walls, Russian and Greek Orthodox icons and religious trinketry full of irony watch over an atheistic me. And on my desk that is piled high with papers and tomes I find much needed consolation. I am centred and safe and brave enough to pour my heart into a mystery, never knowing if a shade will fall between my first draft and final copy. 10. 
My words will never be like the ancient stories that join tribes to ancestors long gone. My words are contemporary, meagre attempts to find a common chord, a scale of moving syllables reaching their zenith in my latter-day hymn. But great poets have known things long before science or psychology or academics examined the mind. They have sensed with their hearts and written with their imaginations, delving deep into the secrets that drive our primal instincts. And they have found a timeless language. 11. And it is instinct that joins me with the trees and shrubs, and wind and rain, the sun, moon and stars, the raw impulses that nature calls us to share with her as she holds us in her repertoire of moving moods. My home in the hills is my queendom, my domain, my country, my realm of natural gifts. It guards my heart from a deep, sad current that would sometimes well like a flood tide, and I, powerless to resist it, would sink beneath its melancholy weight. And worse, madness lurks deep in my mind's crevices. 12. What will it be like when I can no longer dance with the evening dusk, or dawdle in the morning dawn, when I am far away from my beloved hills, stuck in some aged care home, sentient or not, who knows what the future holds? My mind may give way and travel far from reality's realm, locked up in a demented purgatory, flailing for thought, trying to place my friends when time is neither here nor there, forgetting who I am. Will my heart remember my hills and the joy they gave me, or will my hills sink like ancient Atlantis and remain submerged until an explorer, brave of heart, raises my memory to the surface? Who knows? But when my last breath is drawn, after many years wandering across these slopes and through my mind's mystical valleys, will upon my lips feather the words, my hills, and will I bask in my handsome home upon a homecoming reckoning? Or will my solitary walk upon a pathway, sprinkled with the sleeping dust of Morpheus, light my way to forgetfulness? No, the bucolic idol that held my core as one cannot be broken is where we find ourselves when everywhere and everything and everyone is lost in the temporal temple with its prowling bitumen serpents and concrete canker and the barren glass and steel and bricks and mortar dwellings. My Arcadian hills, our Christmas hills, are for me dear and true, where we live in our cherished pastoral dream. It's an amazing poem. It takes us on an amazing journey. It is a journey. Uh, literally, because there's a there's a travel log in it with the the, the roads and, and the and the markers along the way, but it's a journey in spiritual in a spiritual way and a physical way. So you go into Christmas Hills, but you go into the spiritual heart of Christmas Hills too. What does it mean to you to be part of this anthology? Uh, a lot, because it means that um, with other women, um, other good writers who are have written through their hearts and souls, and that. Um, it's visibility again, as a, as a place to be visible, but it's nice to be included with um, people who are seeking to understand their feminism, to understand their place in the world, um, women who are seeking to understand who they are. And in writing, we do that. So it's nice to be included in, in a work, in a book with my sisterhood. What does uh, feminism mean for you? Um, I always feel as though I fail Feminism 101, but... <laughs> 
But you know, it means it means equality. It means seeking equality. It means having opportunity. It means that you no, know, we don't want to have, be rape in our in our world. We don't want an abuse in our world. We don't want all these things that have been traditionally normalised as parts of our our life. We don't want them anymore. We want we want our freedom and our our agency and our respect and dignity to be upheld as women, uh, and to have equal opportunity and equal place in this in this land. Thank you, Sandy. Oh, thanks, thanks, Tina, for having me. Thank you, Pauline. Thank you so much, Tina. I'm Tina Janukas. In today's episode of this two-part show, I've been talking with editor Pauline Hopkins on 3CR's Spoken Word program about the Spinoff Express anthology she has put together and edited called It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry. We've also heard from poet Sandy Jeffs, whose work is included in the anthology. In the next episode of this two-part show, we'll also hear from poets Patricia Sykes, Angela Costi and Marion May Campbell. Spoken Word broadcasts every Thursday at 9am on 855 on the AM dial or stream live at www.3cr.org.au or through CR Digital Radio in Melbourne. Or you can download the podcast. The Spinoff Express anthology, It's All Connected, Feminist Fiction and Poetry, edited by Pauline Hopkins, is available from Spinoff Express, www.spinoffexpress.com.au. Thank you for listening.